with us, O God, and all will be well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The, the two messages you've heard thus far this day in this conference have focused mainly on our present state of life and our present life. Whatever difficulties, heartaches, and trials we may be facing what we have gone through, whatever they are, it's a good life. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's a good life. Our tendency when sorrows like sea billows roll is to think otherwise, that it's not a good life. But when Christ said in John 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, he meant it. He wasn't exaggerating. He came to give us not life and not just abundant life, but more abundant life. In his second epistle to Timothy, chapter 1, Paul wrote that by Christ's coming, he has, I quote, he has abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So however dark life may seem at times, however severely Satan may buffet us, however high the mountain of our sins may seem to rise up before us, nothing changes the fact that our present life is a good life. How can you actually believe the things you've heard today and not believe that you're living a good life? No? Think about what kind of life you'd be living right now if you didn't have this life that Christ gives. I know where I'd be, and it wouldn't be a good life. It would be absolutely miserable. The way of sinners is hard. You would still be dead in your trespasses and sins. You wouldn't even think about darkening the door where there's a men's Bible conference on a Saturday of all times. You might well be hung over from a night of the bars the Friday night before. You'd still be a child of wrath. But such a change has been wrought in your soul that the word of God says that you are a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New life in Christ. Paul declares in in Romans chapter 6 that just as Christ was raised from the dead... We have experienced a spiritual resurrection from death of sin so that we walk in, what does he say? Newness of life. New life in Christ. Even now, even now, as far as God is concerned, we are, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been blessed with all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the Holy Ghost does not lie. He does not exaggerate. We have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Yes, I know know that, that sickness and death 
and disappointment and losses and crosses and storms sweep across our skies. But there's nothing, nothing that can ever or will ever take away from us this eternal life that's been given to us freely by our God. Nothing. So Christ was dead in earnest when he said that he came in order that we might enjoy an abundant Christian life. Not just trying to eke out to get through a day and hope some disaster doesn't happen, but to really enjoy this life, this side of glory. We're not merely to go to church on Sunday, go home, go to work, work our five days, six days, whatever you work, and it all repeats over again. And Oh, that's life. That's not life. And that's not what the Christian life is about. Let me not for a moment give the impression that it's all... Uh, Fireworks and wonderful things and always exciting because it's not. Sometimes it's just humdrum. Doing the daily things, the daily walk, the daily struggles. Still, Christ calls it an abundant life. But if I may borrow an old saying, I know over here you're probably quite familiar with it. The end is not yet and the best is yet to be. The best is yet to be. I can't wait. You have no idea how that has been opened up to my heart in the last year. Going to glory. That fact brings us this afternoon to the subject that I've been asked to preach on, and that is the glorification of God's people. It's the great end for which we're saved in the first place. Chosen, regenerated, justified, being sanctified, all for the great end of being glorified. Peter mentions this fact in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 5. He writes, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. That is our glorification. The title of my message this afternoon, the subject I want to deal with, is Glorification Loved for Eternity. Glorification Loved for Eternity. First, the conformity in our glorification. The conformity in our glorification. Glorification is about that event when we will finally and fully forever be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I don't know if what I'm about to say will surprise any of you, but that does not take place at our death. Glorification does not take place at our death. 
The saints in heaven have not yet been glorified. Does that sound like heresy? It's not. They are sinless and they are safe, but they're not glorified yet. The best is yet to be. Glorification is that act of God where all of his people are conformed perfectly into the image of Christ Not only in soul, but in body. That's the difference. The saints in heaven, as you all well know, don't have bodies. So when you hear Christians talking about, well, their dear great aunt went to heaven and she was paralyzed, but now she's running in heaven, that's just not so. She doesn't have legs. They're disembodied souls. The body's in the grave. The body. The souls in heaven. These souls have understanding. We, we, we know that from what little bit does, has told us. They have understanding. They can see. They can communicate. How that takes place without a body, without the members, I don't know. We're not told, but it happens. But their bodies lie in the grave. According to Philippians 3, Paul states that when Christ comes again in his glory, he shall, I quote, change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And that doesn't take place until he returns. He expands on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter, where he says that when Christ returns, quote, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, for this corruptible must put on incorruptible. That is when, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Their bodies come up from wherever they are, united with their souls. That is glorification. It's the last part of our salvation. A perfect sinless soul that's been united to a perfect immortal body. The conformity to his image. Secondly, the centerpiece of our glorification. The focal point of our eternal glory, the focal point, is the glory of Christ. Peter states that this glorification to which we are called is by Christ Jesus. It could not and it would not happen without Christ. It's going to take place because of who he is and because of what he's done. He's the focal point. In our glorification. I would remind you that what Paul said to the Colossians of Christ. That in all things he might have the preeminence. And that's going to be true in our glorification. That's what heaven will be all about. The glory of Jesus Christ. That's why I read that text in John 17. He once, he prays to his father. They would behold the glory that I had with thee before the foundation of the world. 
It's about my glory. God's chief end is to glorify himself. And especially to give the preeminence to his son, Jesus Christ, in our redemption. I think that there is a mistake that's often made, unintentional no doubt, but made nonetheless in the thinking of many Christians. And that is the view that the gospel and the salvation that comes through that gospel as something that's really all about us. Man's the focal point. While it's obvious that salvation must deal with the salvation of men, I want to remind you that the main reason, the main reason sinners are saved is that Jesus Christ will be glorified. That's why God saved you. You are going to be a trophy for all eternity of his grace. But Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, God's going to assemble all creation and say, look at my redeemed. They glorify my free grace. How good and how gracious and how glorious I am. What is obvious, it's true that salvation Yes, it saves men, but Paul writes, it's all to the praise of the glory of his grace and that we should be to the praise of his glory. So this salvation is all about Christ. It's all about his reputation, not ours. It's about his glory. It's about his name. It's about his work. It's about his sorrow and suffering, his pain, his victory over sin and death. I want to tell you that when we finally are glorified, the glory that will consume our thoughts will not be our own, but it will be the glory of the Lamb. For the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. What's going to be that new song? Myriad upon myriads upon myriads will sing. John says he heard it. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and power and honor and blessing. It's about the lamb. Ah, you see, don't you? Don't you? The more, the more you glorify the lamb, this side of glory in those imperfect bodies, the more you enjoy something of heaven on earth. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want in your home? Just a bit more heaven on earth. Isn't that what you want in your churches? Just a little bit more heaven on earth. Well, if the Lamb in heaven, the glorified state is all about the glory of Christ, then the more we glorify him, the more we enjoy a bit of heaven on earth. It's very true that even, and I won't take the time because my time is limited, but it's very true, Revelation 19, verses 1 to 3, you can look them up another time, but actually the, the condemnation and the damnation of the wicked to hell will redound the glory of Christ. In those few verses you have the picture of the smoke ascending 
The smoke of hell ascending. And the next verse says the saints are singing glory to God and hallelujah. There will be no tears shed because of the lost who are perishing in eternity. Our, our mindset, our viewpoint will be entirely different then. It will be a matter of glorifying God. And the damnation of the wicked. But if Christ is going to be glorified in the damnation of the wicked, how much more is he going to be glorified in the glorification of his people? When we are finally saved from what you've heard before as from the guttermost to the uttermost, when that takes place, heaven, in a way it never has before, will be filled with the glory of Jesus Christ. Our glorification is all about his glorification. Our glorification, when body and soul finally are joined together when Christ returns, is all about his glorification. Romans 8 verse 17, we're joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We read Romans 8, predestination. That's a dirty word in many churches in my country, maybe it is over here, but people don't want to talk about predestination. You know, it's like taboo. Predestined. Predestined. What are we predestined? What's the, what's, what's the aim of it? He says, to the image of Jesus Christ. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God's Son. But what is the final end of that? So we've been called, we've been chosen... Uh, we've been justified, we've been sanctified, and we'll be glorified at that final glorification. What is the reason? What's the great end? Here's what he says. The firstborn, he might be the first, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That word firstborn speaks of prior, priority and of supremacy. It was all about that Christ might have the preeminence in that, in our very glorification. We're going to get glorified because God's going to glorify his son in our glorification. But our glorification, this, this eternal glory that we're destined for, and you don't, we, we, don't, we can't begin to understand the half of what it will be like. But it centers upon Christ in yet another way. It's going to be the sight of his glory that will bring about our glory. Paul writes to Titus of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The glorious appearing reads literally the manifestation of the glory of the great God and our Savior. The manifestation of the glory of the great God and our Savior. There's a verse for the deity of Christ. The great God, the great God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to link that verse with what, with what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It's been touched upon different context. But now it's in the context of our glorification. 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is, and when we see him as he is, it will be his eternal glory that we shall see. I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, really, what human being can put into words what it will be like to see Christ returning in all of his glory? I know that for one little bit of time, he lifted the veil on the Mount of Transfiguration just for a little moment. And they got just a tiny glimpse of the divinity of Jesus Christ shining through. And the best they could say was his garments were glistering. It was like white lightning. What will it be like when we see him in all his glory? I haven't a clue. I just know when I see and when you see that eternal glory, instantly we're made just like him. That's glorification. We'll become the shining ones. It's just reflections now that people see of the glory of Christ in us. There is a veil of flesh with us too. It's not the good thing, not like Hitler. We have a real veil of flesh, and that flesh gets in the way of the shinings of Jesus Christ. But that'll be done on that day. We'll be like him. We'll see him as he is. Well, our sight of Christ is limited. We only see him through his word and through the work of the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Ghost, his great his great work, his greatest work is to take the things of Christ and reveal them unto us, to show us more and more and more of Jesus Christ. That's what we pray that happens today. You'll see more of Christ, learn more of Christ, experience more of Christ. And that's how Paul says, does he not, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we are changed, we are all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. In the mirror of this word, we behold it. And we're changed, he could, let's listen, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You become what you behold. The more you look upon the Lord, the more you like him. The more you behold the Lord Jesus, the more you become like him. The more you see him in his word, the more you hear him in the preaching, the more of Christ is uplifted. The, Paul says it. You change from glory to glory, little by little, but we're changed. I know one thing, because this is true, you're not what you were five years ago. You're not what you were ten years ago. You're not what you were twenty years ago because you've been changed by the Holy Ghost. Because you've learned more of Christ, little by little by little. Now, can you imagine what it's going to be like when you see him in all his glory with no hindrance? Face to face I shall behold him. 
far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory. Fanny Crosby wrote, I shall see him by and by. The place we call glory will be glorious because we will look upon our king of glory. I'm glad that song was chosen before the message. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. For the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. You see, brothers, it's not just that we'll be able to look on Jesus, but he'll be looking on us. I remember the, I'm sure you all do who are married, the day that your bride walked down the aisle, first time I had seen her in the wedding dress. Eyes are locked. That's all you're looking at as she walks down the aisle. Won't it be wonderful when we see Jesus Christ, his eyes locked on us? He'll have that ability, you know, just as he does now. Looking at us all as if we're the only ones there. And that moment, we'll be like him. Thirdly, the characteristics of our glorification. Peter says that we have been called to eternal glory. What's that mean? Well, I, I can say that we will never really know what it means, this side of heaven, but there are numerous scripture references that give us a glimpse into this glorified state that takes place when Christ returns. Yeah, I know you've heard it. Actually, we both mentioned it in various ways in our messages, but let's just dig a little deeper. In the glorified state, it will be characterized by the total absence of sin. John meant something more than being a reflection of Christ when he said we'll be made like him. That likeness already exists. There is a likeness of Christ in all who are indwelt by the spirit of Christ. And if any man have not the spirit of Christ, Paul writes in Romans 9, he's none of his. But we have the spirit of Christ. And so there is a reflection of Jesus Christ in us. When it comes to our sanctification, our great problem, obviously, is what Paul calls this body of sin. That's our big problem. Sin dwells in me, he said. And sin, that, that sin nature that dwells in us, uses this body. It uses the members of this body, whether it's our eyes, our ears, our tongue, our hands, our feet, whatever it is, it tries to use this body, and it does use this body, to sin against God. It wars, the members war against the Lord. And that's not going to change until we get a new body. Not, just not going to change. You can't fix the body. 
can't fix it. You can't fix the sinful flesh. It's permanently ruined. That's why there has to be a new creation. So there's... These members of our bodies are the place where the the sin that's still there within us, where it dwells. But but as I mentioned back in Philippians chapter 3, when Christ appears, he shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And that means this body of sin will be gone once and for all forever. We need new bodies. The old man, sin nature, whatever term you like to use to refer to it, will forever be eradicated. And we'll have a perfect will. That will be 100% biased toward God. And we'll have a mind that is cleared of all the clutter of sin and unrighteousness. No evil thought will cross our minds. We'll have a perfect heart. Our affections will be dead on right. And so our confession states that in our glorified state we will be made, I quote now, perfectly and immutably free to do good alone. Immutably free to do good alone. As much as I wish that was so now, it's not going to happen till then. But when that does happen, think what that will be like. Think about the greatness just for a moment of the change that's going to come over us. There won't be any more doubts. You won't have any more struggles between faith and unbelief. It's gone. You won't backslide anymore. You won't have one lustful thought, one lustful deed. You'll never lose your temper. You'll never say a cross word. You'll never be unkind. You'll always be gentle, like Jesus. No fears. Ah. What's gnawing away at you today? Some niggling thing back there you're afraid of. Is it the economy? Is it the political future of the UK? If you're in my country, (laughs) it is unbelievable what's taking place at such a breathtaking speed. No fears at all? No more failures. Never again will you fall. Never again will you fall into sin. You won't even know temptation. The devil is banished. The victory has been won. And you have put through Christ your heel upon the head of the serpent and you've crushed him. The victory is ours. 
That's glorification. That's what it's coming to. I can't wait. No more faithlessness. No more struggling trying to hold on to a promise that doesn't seem to be fulfilled in your life. Solid, unmoving, unflinching rest in the God of grace and glory. Think about what will now interest you. It's become more this way in my country, but I remember when I first came to Ulster, and I've been coming here since 1987. So I've been coming a few years, but I was sort of, man, these people talk about politics all the time. So it's sort of new to me. People talk about America, but not like this. Radio, it's all about politics. It's now this way in my country. Everything is political. Everything. Sports, education, it's all revolved around the political, the right, and the left. Everything. Politics. You know, the more we enjoy heaven upon earth, the less those things interest us. It sounds like blasphemy over here. So much politics. That, that, that won't be the thing you talk about the most. I'm not saying you, you're, you know, you're ignorant of what's going on. You, you need to know what's going on, but that's just politics. What's far more interesting is the setting up of Antichrist. And now he's moving in this war between God and Satan that's going to culminate one day. And I know who's going to win. That one little word shall fell him. No matter what the politicians do. They come and go. God sets them up. He takes them down. But you know, in glory, we ain't talking about politics. It won't be the weather. For sure. It won't be the latest gossip in the church. Did you hear? Those things you know reveal about where we are and enjoying something of heaven on earth. The closer I get to glory, I find the less these things even cross my mind. They're not important. I don't get all agitated. I mean, I've, I've seen some believers get mad at some politician on the TV and yelling at them. What? Who cares? They're here today and gone tomorrow. That won't be our talk in heaven. Other than, did you see what the Lord did in that case back in 2022 when the PM had to step down? He was at work doing this and you didn't know that. That'll be, that's, that's the extent of it. It will all be about what the Lord is doing. What you'll want to do when you're glorified. What you'll want to sing about. The more of heaven we have on earth, the more of heaven's song will be in our hearts. It's a telltale sign, you know, when we stop singing. 
we lose the song. Our mind's too much on the world. But in heaven, oh, it'll be the song worthy as the Lamb. I think we'll be singing the Psalms in heaven personally. That's God's hymn book. What will it be like to have a will and desires that want nothing but what is holy and pleasing to Christ? And the battle with sin is over. You know what it's going to be like? We will fulfill the first and second commandments. We'll love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and might. And we will love his people with perfect love. You talk about a place of love? I had a hard time coming to grips with the thought that there's no marriage in heaven. I've known it for donkey's years. But when the Lord ended that relationship, when he took my wife home, it was hard to deal with. She'll never be my wife again. She doesn't view me as her husband. The Lord ended that relationship. But I know something else. When I get to glory, we're there glorified together. I will have a perfect love for her and she'll have a perfect love for me. Not of husband and wife, but as a brother and sister in Christ. Perfect love. It'll be characterized not only by the absence of all sin, but the absence of all sorrow. That statement by John in Revelation 21 has taken on a fresh meaning for me where John writes that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. It's hard for me to imagine what it will be like not to cry. I don't know about you, but it's... uh, it the, 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 doesn't take a whole lot to bring out the tears. Never again will tears run down our cheeks. This world is a place of tears because this world is a place of sorrow. Sorrows due to defeat, to disappointment, to dread, to deadness, to dryness, to death. But when we are brought... When we are glorified and brought to eternal glory, we'll be brought into eternal joy. You will never, ever know again what it is to have a bout of depression. If you've ever been depressed, you know how paralyzing it is. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to talk to anybody. You want to sit in your chair and grieve. It'll be a wonderful time when that's over. Never, ever. You won't be depressed. You won't ever be in despair. You won't ever be discouraged. It kind of makes you wonder. Why we're afraid to die. Doesn't it? If our death 
is our entrance into glory? What have I to dread? What have I to fear? You know, we, 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 <laughs> there won't be any more valleys. We will live on the mountaintop continuously. You've had those mountaintop experiences, haven't you? The Lord came down and <sighs> there's nothing like it. But you didn't stay there. This time you'll stay there when you're glorified. It'll also be characterized by the absence of suffering because he says there shall be no more pain. With the entrance of sin, there came suffering. And God first mentions this to Eve in Genesis 3. In sorrow, it means literally in pain, thou shalt bring forth children. I spent a number of years working my way through college as uh, orderly. We would call them in hospitals. And I've watched patients cry out in pain. And nothing, no medication could stop the pain. Remember a young black man, probably 30 years of age. He'd been there for months in the hospital, had an inoperable tumor on his throat. It was always bleeding. Then one night I was there and it began to bleed and they couldn't stop it. And it broke my heart when he said, he he couldn't talk because of the tumor. He asked for paper. He said, call my mom. All the suffering. God's people suffer all kinds of diseases, even though they're all God's people. All kinds of pains. Don't believe for one moment that the death of Christians is always a nice, quiet, peaceful death. That's just not true. They die, many of them, in awful agony. Not because of the fear of hell, but because they are living in a vile body, a corruptible body, and they suffer. But in this glorified state, there is no pain, no headaches, no body aches, no seizures, no cancer, no brain tumors, no strokes. There isn't even a pinprick. What must it be like to be there? The deaf will hear. The dumb shall sing. The lame only then will walk. All will be whole, suffering, banished forever. Because our bodies will be raised incorruptible. It will be characterized by the absence of self. Evan Hopkins wrote to him, My Savior, thou hast offered rest, O give it then to me, the rest of ceasing from myself, ceasing from myself to find my all in thee. This cruel self, O how it strives and works within my breast to come between thee and my soul and keep me back from rest. But when we see Christ and are made like him, self will disappear. Pride is gone. Isn't that our big struggle? Self, pride, none of us are immune to it. 
Preachers struggle with pride, self-importance, want to be highly thought of, the congratulations of men, well done. Pride, you struggle with it. That's why you argue with your wife. And she argues with you. Only by pride cometh contention. That's why you get easily offended. No, don't talk to me like that. Does she know who I am? Do they know who I am? It's all pride. Gone. Gone. You know, when we are glorified in heaven, and I shouldn't just say in heaven because I believe the place we'll dwell more than anything else is on the earth, not in a new heaven, a new earth. There's a reason for that. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. We'll be here. This will be our... It won't be now talking about us, our world, ourselves, me, 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 me. It will all be about Christ. We'll want to talk about him. We'll want to bring glory to his name. I envision, you know, part of what Paul says to show to the principalities and powers the unsearchable riches of the grace of Christ. What we're going to be doing is, whatever the angel's name is, Gabriel, let me tell you something about the Lord, what he did for me. You see, they've never experienced that. They've never been redeemed. But we have. And we'll see brother or sister so-and-so and talk about Christ, how good he was to us. That'll be heaven. Ah, you see, more of heaven on earth, that's what it's like, right? Positively, this glorification will be characterized by living forever in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's it. Let me ask you a question. What have been... The happiest times in your Christian life. The happiest times. If I am correct, it's been when you have sensed the very close presence of the Lord. You've been there on your face before God, pouring out your heart to him. And in ways you can't explain because it's better felt than felt. He's just come right beside you. And you've known the Lord is here. That's an alamda. If that is your highest joy, this side of glory, what will it be like in glory when it's that way forever? What must it be, as the hymn says, what must it be to be there? Why has the Lord done all this? All this election and regeneration and justification and adoption and sanctification and glorification. Why? Why? It's for one simple reason. He wants to show us his love for all eternity. He wants to be with us for all eternity. Because he loves us. 
Why'd you marry that girl you married? I hope it was because she's the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. Because you said, I can't do without her. Just magnify that on a spiritual level. <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling. Christ says, I must have them with me forever. Father, I will that they be with me where I am and behold the glory I had with you before the world was. I must have them. And I will do whatever I have to have to get them because I love them. We are the bride. 